Do you want to start a thriving real estate career, but don't know where and how to start? Do you want to become a successful realtor or investor, but lack the required knowledge and skills? Gear yourself up with the best and actionable advice here on The Real Estate Rundown. Tune in as Shannon Robnett talks with industry veterans about all kinds of asset classes, market trends, challenges, management techniques, and success stories. Listen to informative discussions with valuable tips that will serve as the foundation for your incredible real estate venture. Now, here's your host, Shannon Robnett. Hey everybody, you're going to want to tune into episode 262 of the Real Estate Rundown, where we take the time to talk to our buddy Tony. And Tony is going to tell us all about what it takes to have a consumer mindset. See, Tony Andrews has been in this business for a while and he understands a few things. He understands how to analyze the market for rental demand, right? How to have customer service mindset that builds relationship and how to create an environment that provides amenities that are good for the renters. So if you want to know more information like that, you're going to want to tune into the Real Estate Rundown where Tony and I break that down and bring that information to you, our listeners. Hey guys, welcome to the Real Estate Rundown. I have the great honor today of interviewing my man, Tony Andrews, who is coming to us all the way from Fort Collins, Colorado. Tony, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Shannon. Appreciate you having me. Hey, so Tony, you have been involved in real estate since 2005, which means that you got in right before some really bad things happened, but of course they didn't happen to you. So we're not going to have to talk about that. That has nothing to do with your experience, right? We're going to be able to go right over, gloss over all of that to only good points and only sunshine, right? Sounds great. <laughs> Let's not dredge up that bad stuff. Yeah, we're going to miss about half your story. But here's the thing, Tony, you have a wealth of experience having been in real estate for over 15 years now. And you've got the mindset, right, that brings that out. So tell us a little bit more about who you are and the mindset that you bring and how to create the environment that you bring to your rentals properties. Yes, I would enjoy that. It's my part-time job, right? I have a full-time job. So probably since 94, I've been in sales and marketing, and I just have an extreme customer-centric point of view with the world, right? Any business, you need customers. They pay you money, so you want to treat them well. And I just bring that attitude into being a landowner and a landlord. So, Tony, what brought you into real estate out of the customer service business? Oh, boy, that's a good question. My wife and I partner in this business. We just both have a lot of aptitude for purchasing homes, owning homes, working on homes. We've probably owned a dozen of our own homes and lived in 16 or 17 different dwellings over the years. And it just made sense to um, take that aptitude and have it go to work for us. So what were your first steps when you got into the real estate world back in 2005 that were some of your better learning aptitudes? What were some of the things that you learned that real estate is such a quick teacher on helping us figure out those things? Yeah. You know, I think what a lot of us do, let me back up a second. You know, I I had a false start opening a restaurant before that. And I started to learn what not to do. And if I would have done that correctly, I would have had more money. I would have partnered with people that had been successful in it. I would have had the right types of brokers and mentors in that process. 
And I guess maybe I'm not the sharpest learner in the world because I made a lot of the same mistakes when I got into real estate. I think back in 05, I learned a lot of what not to do. I thought, let's buy a cheap house and let's fix it up and get in that lower rent area where people have to rent and they don't have a choice. Um, I did not screen renters properly. I did not get legal people. I didn't have mentors. I just thought, oh, I know everything and I can do this on my own. So what'd you prove, Tony? <laughs> Thing and you couldn't do it on your own without some help? I couldn't do it on my own. I got lucky. I decided to get out of it. I said, you know, and oh, and uh, to boot on top of that, I was living in Illinois at the time and buying houses in Arizona thinking I was going to end up there. So on top of all the other stuff I did wrong, I was a long distance landlord, which I think was another fatal mistake. And so I just got out of it. And I got real lucky that my choice to do that was right before the crash hit. So I didn't take a big loss. I kind of washed out even on that and walked away from it. And then when we got to Colorado, it was time to do it again. But let's talk about that for a minute, because the reality is at the beginning of your conversation, you identified all the things that you were doing that you thought you were doing right, that you later found out you were doing wrong. That is probably about half of what my listeners are doing, right? You're buying the least expensive property you can find, thinking that the lower the entry point, the better the learning curve is going to be. And then you were you said you were fixing them up yourself. You weren't screening your tenants. You were doing all of this yourself because you're saving money that way. And then you weren't using a property management company because all the property management company does is collect your money. They don't provide the value. I mean, what was it in those supposed truths, right, that you learned that they weren't? And what brought that to light? I mean, let's start with the cheapest property you could buy. Why is that a myth you, you should avoid? Well, uh, not only did I do that myself, but I've seen, and I still have friends that still do it. And let's just pick some numbers. Say you could go buy a brand new house in your market for $400,000, or you could buy one for two fifty dollars or three and fix it up. Well, it's going to take you a hundred grand to fix it up. And it's going to take you six or nine months. And so at the end of six or nine months, you're at the same place you would have been had you just spent that 400, but now you've lost out on six to nine months worth of rent. Plus, don't forget, you lost out of six and nine months worth of vacations. <laughs> you didn't have to go see the in-laws at all. I mean, there's a lot of benefit to that, right? I mean, if you <laughs> like smash fingers and splinters, right? I mean, that's, you know, to me, there's absolutely nothing worse than a home improvement project. You know, I absolutely hate home improvement projects, right? Some mm -hmm. people look at that and they go, oh, look at the fun we could have, right? I get nervous watching HGTV because I don't know if they're actually going to get it back together before the 30 minutes is up, right? <laughs> that's right. You no, know, those are very good points. And people don't realize the time value of money, right? They don't mm -hmm. look at what their time is worth. If you would have gone and put all those hours in at your day job, what would that have added up to? Plus you'd have been getting rent. You know, your $300,000 property went up 10%, but so did your $400,000 property. So you'd actually probably made an extra 10 grand there. You'd have had all your nights and weekends back, or you could have traded that time for money at the J-O-B you have. There's a lot of things there that people don't consider. So now we're going to assume that you fixed all those habits. You don't have any of those bad habits now, right? Correct. No, nothing, right? How did you go about fixing all those habits? You got out of the real estate. Your timing was impeccable. You came to Colorado. You decided it was time to do it again. What did you do differently? And what is the success you've seen from that difference? I hate to say this, but one of the best things I did was get a little lucky. And that was moving to a really hot market in Fort Collins, Colorado. And then I think what got me back into it was I could see that as I'm looking for properties for my daughter to go to college at CSU. And I'm thinking I could 
pay 600 a month to somebody else and rent a place for my daughter, or I could go buy a condo and get some her and some of her friends in there and make some money on my own. So you bought something. Mm-hmm. And what was that difference in that experience between the one you had in Arizona? Oh, well, the, obviously, you know, I got with lawyers, I got with other people that I know, I found some mentors in the business. And I learned how to be successful. It included things like not only have a rock solid lease, but get the kids' parents to sign guarantor letters. I mean, it almost sounds awful, but each parent had to sign a letter saying they're responsible for the entire nut every month if nobody else can make it. I never had to enforce any of that. We really have had good tenants and good parents and people paid on time and took care of the places and we took care of it also in return. So when you look at that, when you talk about how you bought the property and you said you got a mentor, where'd you find your mentor? Did you just go to Craigslist and mentors.com? I mean, where? pray tell where's this unicorn? I got lucky there too, Shannon. My wife and I had lived here not very long. This is a little over seven years ago. And we're sitting in this cafe drinking some wine. And this guy approaches me and we start talking. And it turns out he owns the cafe. And he's looking for somebody to ride bikes with. And I'm an avid cycler and he's an avid cycler. And we had been cycling and hanging out together for a little over a year when I found out he's not just a restaurant owner. He runs his own real estate company and has quite a few rentals that he owns and manages. And so I start picking his brain a little bit. And he really likes my wife and I. He's in a position where he doesn't have to work with too many people but he really enjoyed helping make us successful. So Tony, I got to ask you, you know, cause we always hear about this undercover agent, right? This person is a real estate agent, but nobody knows you actually met one. I mean, if you yeah. bikes with a guy for over a year before you even knew he was in real estate, was he just that secretive about it? Or was he really just not interested in selling anything? He was just interested in riding bikes. He's interested in both. <laughs> Every time we go on a bike ride, he ends up stopping a few times and taking phone calls where I've got my phone turned off or not with me. One of the things I really like about this individual is just not a lot of ego, not a lot of pride in the game. But he does have something that most realtors don't have, and that's his own investment property. You know, mm-hmm. it blows me away, Tony, how many realtors don't even own their own home, let alone a second investment property. So this guy's obviously drank the Kool-Aid. He understands the value of the real estate game as not only a place to make his money, but a place to invest his money. How did that influence your decisions moving forward when you knew you had a pro in your corner that was able to show you the ropes and bring you the deals that you would buy? You know, it really just bolstered my confidence to have that coach and that mentor. And It also really turns out that we brought a lot of good business ideas and concepts to the table. So it wasn't really just a matter of him telling us what to do, but they were really good conversations where we would kind of meld our ideas together and talk about the pros and cons and what results could possibly come from those. You know, that's always awesome when you're able to influence or be a part of the conversation, contribute from a different perspective, because You know, I know that having, I mean, I'm fourth generation realtor, right? Everybody knows that second generation builder. People don't usually talk to me about what they think about real estate, but it always is refreshing because I always learn something when I hear somebody else's point of view, even if it's from the other side of the street or down the road or around the corner where people are seeing things the way that they are 
instead of the way that I've always seen them and always thought about them. But that's just me. So now you've moved on. You've obviously, you've been riding bikes with the guy for a couple of years. You bought a couple of properties. Tell us a little bit more about where you're at and where your journey's brought you. Boy, where we're at now, we we're about five years from retiring from the day job. And we've finally built this up to where we can afford to do that. So what does that look like for you? I mean, when you're talking about retiring from the day job, is that more about lifestyle? Is that more about age? What is that? We could retire tomorrow, quite honestly, but we both enjoy our jobs quite a bit. We have successful careers and we're just not ready to turn that off just yet. We've got a lot of wonderful activities that we like to pursue when we're not working though. And that's what makes me want to do it sooner rather than later. From a money standpoint, we've got eight homes now and they will replace the income that we get from both of our day jobs. So it will kind of just stay level set at that point. So you're not planning on expanding past the eight? I'm really not. So you're a real estate investor, not a real estate nut. <laughs> you're not one of those that runs around like looking for real estate like Charlie Sheen does his bookie, right? And, and his uh, dealer, because there are two kinds of real estate people, right? There's those that understand the value and there's those that absolutely lose their mind with the value or, or with the proposition of doing deals. I know a lot of people that are in that boat where they're, they're more interested in doing the deals and having the fun doing the deal than they are anything else. But there's also those that understand what it does. It can provide the cash flow that you're looking for to step into the next phase of your life, step into the next chapter of your life without having to be tied to the JLP. So that's going to be what it does for you. Now, what does that look like for you having spent your career in sales? What does that do when you talk about it from the tenant side? When you're talking about how you serve your tenants, how are you doing that with a different mindset than most people do? My mindset is you're paying us a crap ton of money to rent this home and live in it. And my customer service attitude is, I want to make sure you get the value for your money. So if there's an issue with the house, if there's a problem, if the neighbors are upset, even if you get a letter from the HOA, I want to know about it. I want to help talk to them. So I take care of things instantly. And I had that good business relationship because they see me doing things for them that they've never experienced from a landlord. Now they're open and willing to come to me and, hey, this happened or that happened. Great. Thanks for letting me know. I'd rather fix it sooner rather than later. And believe it or not, typically when that happens, heck, it's been fixed. I don't wait till the end and take deposit money out. I don't recall ever keeping deposit money from any of my tenants because of this. So do you think that the customer service attitude makes your tenants stay longer? I do. I really do. And how does that affect your bottom line at the end of the day? Well, I mean, it's expensive to move tenants. <laughs> it's also expensive to take care of every problem they call and complain about. Well, that's true. I mean, there's got to be uh, some reasonableness to the problem. You know, I have a priority list. I go through them. If, they're, if they can't cook or they can't get hot water, that's a 24-hour emergency. And then other problems get knocked down on that priority list. But let's jump to one other topic. You know, when I first moved here seven years ago, I heard about somebody buying a brand new house down the road to own as a rental. And I thought, that's crazy. Who would do that? And then I thought, why did I think that? And now I'm that crazy person. Now that's what I do. I mean, my whole goal is to hit the easy button. So we just, out of all the homes we have, four of them, we purchased brand new construction. 
and they're higher end homes. So you kind of get a higher end tenant, the type of person that is smart. They work hard for the money. They take care of their stuff. And it just, that's hitting the easy button for me. And, you know, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, we build and develop all new product as well, because I understand that if you buy a 15-year-old house, they may have just replaced the water heater, or you may just replace the water heater, or the water heater might last another 10 years. But in some point, you're going to begin to replace that thing. It's kind of like the argument between a new and a used car, right? Everybody loves the new car smell, right? But then you have the payment, or you could go with the old car smell that s- smells like, you know, you might have uh, last week's chicken bake hiding somewhere under the seat, but there's no car payment for it. But the U-joints are going out and the tires need to be replaced. And so it really does depend on what you want. And I really honestly couldn't agree with you more, Tony, that there is an easy button on rentals and buying a house that doesn't nickel and dime you, you just pay it all up front and you actually get the bank to become your partner in that because they'll front you all the money to buy all new stuff. Just ask them. They'll pre-approve your loan, right? You go in and you buy it for 400 instead of the analogy where you bought it earlier in the show at 300 and it cost a bunch of money to get it done. And then you're constantly giving up your part because see the bank, you're hitting on such a great point here because when you get your $2,000 in rent, the bank doesn't say, hey, that's great. But since you had the hot water heater go out and that was 500 bucks, only pay us a portion of that, well, that payment, right? <laughs> It never that would be nice like that. You know, don't you wish you could He'd call your banker up and say, hey, listen, I'm just going to connect you with my tenant. He can explain what I did and you can then take it off the loan. I don't have to deal with that. Right. But that's really what buying new does. You know, buying new puts you in that position where now you're putting a 30 year mortgage on a product that's actually going to last 30 years. Right. Exactly. You actually be able to go from one to done on this thing, make all the payments on time, just like you promised and have it keep going. So give us another example of another thing that you've learned that puts things on the easy button that makes Tony's life really easy and makes him look like a genius to his wife. Yeah. Another thing lately is Zillow. I really did not like Zillow too much in the beginning, but they've made a lot of good enhancements. So again, the easy button is I advertise a place on Zillow. It automatically goes to four or five other websites that people are looking at. And again, I'm in that hot market. So When someone sends me an email saying, hey, I want to look at that house, I say, great, fill out the application on Zillow. I'll analyze it and see if you're a good potential applicant, then we'll go look at it instead of showing it to 50 people and 40 of them, there's no way they could have actually rented it. Right. So, Tony, just to recap what we've got here as far as nuggets that we picked up on the show, one is hit the easy button and buy new, right? You're going to pay for it on one side of the equation or the other. You might as well put it in the loan right? The second one I hear you saying is that Zillow can be your friend, okay? Because we hear so many negative things about Zillow, right? From the real estate agents and everything. The third thing is go bike riding. No, wait, we didn't hear that. (laughs) What we heard in the third thing was that taking care of your tenants actually takes care of your property, actually takes care of you. Did I miss anything? No, no. I think that's a good synopsis of what we've talked about. The last lucky thing I did recently before COVID, we decided let's not make all of our rentals for college kids, even though that was our original thrust of what to do. And again, just like I got lucky and sold me for the crash in 07 of eight of our homes have families in them. So only one went empty when they shut the school down. Nice. Nice. You know, I always say I'd rather be lucky than good any day. So Tony, we just want to thank you for coming by the Real Estate Rundown. 
Thanks for being with us today. Guys, thanks for tuning in the Real Estate Rundown. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to the Real Estate Rundown on Podchaser, Spotify, iTunes. You know the drill. We're everywhere you want to get your podcast, Phil. When you subscribe to that, you'll get your automatic updates. You can find us on Instagram and YouTube. Leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks again, Tony, one more time for coming on the show. We really appreciate you, man. My pleasure, Shannon. Thanks for having me. That's a wrap for today's episode of The Real Estate Rundown. Let these newfound strategies pave the way to start a successful career or a profound rebranding. If you loved everything you have heard, listen to more conversations at www.shannonrobnett.com. And be sure to leave a rating, share it with your friends, and subscribe. Until the next episode. Amen.